no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Yes, hello. Welcome back to the 40 Yard Switch. As always, uh, I'm Wilby and joined by my ever dependable co host, uh, I'm Woodson. Actually. You're Woodson, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Wilby. How dare he's you? Wilby. And today we have a very special guest on. Uh, we're recording live from the gracious and spacious Melbourne Uni Soccer Club club rooms because obviously we're not allowed guests in our home. Uh, so if you hear any background noise, that's, what, that's what's up. But yes, joining us today is a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Josh Ring, and also diehard Liverpool fan as well. Welcome to, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 40-yard uh, switch. I'm not used to the 40-yard uh, pitch indoor futsal, but it's good to get back speaking to the homelander, back on the outdoor pitch with a man who has uh, been a long-time friend and fellow player of mine. Yeah, me, me and Josh used to play uh, under-16s together back in uh, Brunswick City. That's my first ever season playing soccer. Did, did I used to play against you with the Brunswick Zebras? Uh, I think that potentially you may have been a little bit better than me in a higher division, but uh, yes, we did get beat by the Brunswick Zebras a few times, City, so I think Wilby's got bragging rights here. Yeah, and Wilby fresh off uh, another game in, in State 5 today. It didn't go our way today, but you did play very well, I must say, watching from where I was watching. Thanks, man. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Before we jump into the, the, the brunt of what we're going to be talking about today, I thought we'd just touch on um, the Olympic football that's been going on. Obviously, the Oli Roos crashed out in uh, unspectacularly, unremarkable fashion. Really disappointing stuff uh, there, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, just in the one game they needed to look good, they didn't look good, as opposed to the first two games, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a bit harsh to say that it was uh, disappointing. Um, the team was clearly outgunned in this group. Um, they were never expected to actually be able to beat these teams. But more sort of like if you're going to play that well against Spain and Argentina, then you can sort of blow it against Egypt. I think the Argentina game was a bit of an outlier. You know, there was a red card halfway through and um, they did dominate and just couldn't convert early on. Uh, the Egypt game was probably fair enough to be a disappointment, but I think that that was probably closer to what we were expecting than the first two. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the Matildas going through in what was a bore draw nil all in the final group game, but then uh, lighting it up last night. Uh, what a game that was, Ruby. Yeah, that was hectic. What a goal. What a goal. For 3-2. Uh, that was, that was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, the, the deflection to, to beat all def- other deflections. But yeah, um, it was crazy. I didn't, I, I didn't, re- didn't realise it was a deflection until, yeah. un- until today. I, thought, I just thought it was just like oh, a really? perfect postage stamp top, top yeah. corner goal. No, it was it, it was some, and I remember we were watching it live at the pub last night. I think it's because I had my glasses off because I had to wear my mask. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. That'll but happen, yeah. won't it? Yeah, it will. Yeah. But yeah, um, Australia go through in dramatic fashion against Team GB. Uh, I like definitely like it was a close game, four three in the end, but like probably on the balance of play, the Matildas probably a better team. Like, they seem to be dominating for most of the second half. For sure, I, I didn't think see, I didn't see this the first half. Truth be told, because I was on the way to the pub. But <laughs> yeah, forgetting your mask and then your ID. And then I didn't, I didn't even I didn't, I didn't even need my ID in the end. I just said so and so is booking, and they're like, oh yeah, go in. Yeah, yeah. So um, but yeah, I think um, the semi final is going to be very difficult against, against Sweden. Against Sweden is yeah. it? Oh, I thought it was going to be against Canada. But yeah, because we 
looked the worst side against them last yeah, time. Sweden they scored some really, really nice goal, goals. Really good. Really nice goals. And then, and then uh, Canada versus US in the other semi. It's definitely set up, I think, for a, a USA-Sweden rematch in the final and a Canada-Australia bronze medal game, if everything goes, I guess, how it's anticipated to. So medal's still very much on the line because I think Canada's uh, probably a very beatable opponent. So I think you can... You can probably say we're favourites to medal here, yeah. depending which colour, I guess. And it's funny because, like, in an, in another tournament, you'd probably say Sam Kerr would be a shoe in for the Golden Boot, but not when you've got Vivian Miedemar scoring nine goals in four games. <laughs> yeah, well, when you have a group that you get to score ten goals in a game, it's against generally hard to. Uh, yeah, against yeah. Zambia, uh, like Zambia, to their credit, they didn't just lose ten nil. You know, they scored, I think, three against Brazil and four against Netherlands, but they just conceded so many goals that yeah. Golden Boot's probably a wrap. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a wrap. But yeah, uh, we really hope that the Matildas can go potentially all the way. It'll be tough, but like definitely, like you said before, to at least medal uh, will be a great achievement against teams that like have historically have been better than Australia. And this is, this is the last thing I'll say on the Olympics is that I still, if you look at, like it's obviously this is a stupid, stupid way to look at it, but if you look at the um, medals to population ratio, Australia will be blowing everyone else out of the water. Compared to China and ROC and Great Britain and America, that's that's a stat that counts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, we're moving on to what me and will will be alluded a little bit to at the end of last week's episode, which is um, we are we finally got uh, a Liverpool uh, the Liverpool family we've been wanting to get on for a while uh, to basically rather than just do an Arsenal and Everton last season review and look ahead to the next season. Because we talk, it get the, all the Arsenal and Everton talk gets quite monotonous between us two, so we brought in a third team. Uh, so yeah, what we're going to do today is basically break down what we were last season, essentially, uh, for all three clubs: Arsenal, Liverpool, and Everton. And then we're going to look ahead to next season and sort of talk about the off-season dealings that have gone on so far and what and what we hope will come out of them. So I guess we'll start off with the team that finished worst last last season. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, Everton. Um, I guess yeah, what were your what, what were your expectations before the season started last season? Yeah, I, I think basically after Carlo got announced and he brought in the players that he did in um, in that summer transfer window last year, um, the expectations were were pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> I think like. Save um, Roberto Mar- uh, Martinez's first season. Like I think probably one of the most exciting times to be an Everton fan in, in recent history. Um, so yeah, I think I think going into the season, I was expecting to at least qualify for Europa League. I think that would have been that would have been good. Yeah, I reckon that was realistic too. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I suppose just go over the ins that we brought in. Inkunu, a, re- a really skilled um, young right back, who's I'm I'm not sure if he's really seen as a long term successor to Seamus Coleman, but he's he's solid. Um, no, wait, he's a left back, isn't he? I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. No, he is a left back. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we brought him in with with Baines retiring last with with Baines retiring last season. So yeah, he he does. I think he is seen as a long term successor, but we've got Dina in there anyway. Um, the other three big ones were Alan, uh, Hamez, and Decore. All very exciting and all played very well until they got injuries, probably midway through the season. Um, and I think 
yeah, one of our sort of best signings for the whole season last year was was Ben Godfrey. Yeah, yeah, so phenomenal. Yeah, did he? Who won your player of the season in the end? Calvert-Lewin. I'm not too sure to uh, be honest. But I, I think if it wasn't going to be, I think it might have been him. And if it wasn't him, it should have been Ben Godfrey. Like he was phenomenal, and he will be phenomenal for years yeah. to come. Yeah. He was consistent, especially in that very versatile in that time where we where we were without Coleman for, for quite some time. Um, Godfrey came in and, and played there as as a natural sort of centre back, um, and and did a really good job. Um, but yeah, I think. Th- there was lots of expectation at the start of the season. There were quite a few good games early on. Um, when we beat Tottenham um, two one, one nil at home in the first game, we looked amazing. Um, the game against Brighton four two, which sent us top of the league, was another high point. Um, and also beating Liverpool and Anfield for the <laughs> first time in like <laughs> twenty years um, was another high point. But in the end. It was just injuries around the middle of the season, and we ended up finishing finishing a lot lower than we had anticipated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think even though we ended up finishing lower than I expected, prior to Carlo leaving, I was still happy with the season. Yeah. And like I felt that if he could have another transfer window. Um, we would we would be able to pr- pr- progress up the table quite a lot, um, but in the end he didn't stay. Yeah, <laughs> and that that was probably the biggest disappointing of the season. Um, yeah, do you Dis- think disappointment of the season? Do you think a certain like not in the injuries, but like certain players dipping in form might have also been somewhat part of it? Because I feel like Calvert Lewin had such a hot start and then didn't maintain it for the whole season. Yeah, I mean he 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 was also injured a little oh, bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, his I mean he his his form definitely dipped, but I feel like it was always it was always going to. The rest of the team also fell away, yeah. and that and that impacted the the extent to which that he could um, be be on a hot run of form. So, as a Liverpool fan, did you did you ever think that Everton were at any chance like? going to like you know because they were pushing they were top four for quite a while did, did you see them as potentially like breaking into that top six at any point during the season um, look it's one of those things where as a Liverpool supporter for my entire life you look back and Everton has been nothing but I guess a disappointment in terms of the rivalry like you said the first time in Anfield in 20 years as much as you love dominating a rivalry it's only fun when both teams come to the party um, and you know you compare it to the North London derby or the Manchester derby now and you, you really see these not just competitive in the individual games, but in terms of league positions. Um, so Everton, you always have this thing in the back of your mind that they're not, they're not quite there yet. And I think it's just telling of their season that beating Liverpool in the derby was a highlight of the season and they lost their manager in the end. It feels like at the end of the day, they haven't gone anywhere. And yeah. that's... I'm, did, I'm almost disappointed for them. Yeah, it did feel like a lot of hope only sort of to end sort of back where they were at the start of, like, the, start of the season. Would you say that was a fair assessment of what went up? I think... I don't, I don't know if it was full circle until Carlo left. Yeah. Okay. Now Carlo's left, we're back to the exact same position yeah. we were. Because I think he's, he would have had a better transfer window than um, Benitez is having now. Yeah, and also it, like, it, it sucks because not only was Carlo so good, but also it's just like back to the, what's become somewhat of a norm with Everton with like the uh, rotating door of managers. Yeah. Recently. Yeah, exactly. That's been since 
since David Moyes left, basically. We've yeah. had managers come in who have been like quite well backed by the by the owner, Fahed Mashiri. But yeah, at the end of the day, there's been no clear strategy to, to bringing players in. What, what I would say, though, is that it does seem that Benitez has tried to pick up where Carlo left off. Yeah, He's brought in two new wingers already, and it seems that he wants to bring in more. Um, yeah, this sort of brings me to like my next uh, next point is the sort of like, where do you go from here? You yeah, know, you've got Benitez now. You like you said, you've just signed two like, not like standout names, but solid players in Demario Gray and Andros Townsend. Like, what's as a, as a, as a fan, and um, what what's the sort of the next steps you'd like to see in the next before like in the rest of the transfer window, firstly, and then I guess for the season. Yeah. So yeah, I. For me personally, getting Rafa Benitez in wasn't an issue, probably because I don't have such big ties to the to, to, to the city, and I've actually been an Everton fan for that long. Full disclosure. <laughs> As we touched but on in the, uh, episode four, I think who used to be a th- since since twenty thirteen. So yeah. it's you know it's not a short amount of time, yeah. but um, but it kind of is. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, th- I think we, we've touched on it in a previous pod, um, and basically. You know, one of the best parts of our performance at Anfield last season was we took the emotion out of the game. And, like, usually we kind of get caught up in the Merseyside Derby and just play really poorly because we get too emotional about it. And the occasion's too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we have to take the emotion out of um, this signing. Like, he might have said something in the past about Everton being a small club, Um which he's since addressed, but I just think he, he is a good manager who's proven in the Premier League, and yeah, I think it's good for us. But I'd like to get uh, Josh's thoughts. Yeah, sure. I was going to ask, like, as, as a Liverpool fan, rapid one of your most successful managers of the modern era, what was your reaction to that? I think it's, at first, your initial reaction is always going to be, you're very upset um, at face value, but the more you look into it, the more you can actually quite understand it. Um, the man loves the city as much as he loves the club. And his family has been in and around the city of Liverpool. And obviously, he can't coach Liverpool right now because Jurgen Klopp's the manager. So, you know, he's not going to go and coach Tranmere Rovers. So he's going to go and coach Everton. Um, So it makes sense for him personally. And it's probably a different different argument if it's another manager who was potentially at the club for a certain amount of time and didn't gain so much goodwill with the club. So in in a way, him being a legend doesn't make it worse it makes it better because you know that he he does he does love the club he loves the city and you know he he won us a champions league um and at no point has he come in and said bad things about us since he left um so you can only really be happy for him and his family and his personal life and just hope that you know it doesn't mean that they play well against you in the derby all the time now i guess (laughs) i just feel like yeah overall my as 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 someone who doesn't have a really a, a, a horse in that race um, I just thought the overreaction from both sides was just like an overreaction in essence. Like it's just like, like it, 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 this is football these days. Like like managers are going to manage one team and manage another team. Like it, like it happens. The only time when where I reckon like it's worthy to be upset is if like for example a manager like Jose Mourinho decides to manage a club that he's openly dissed like Arsenal like multiple times. I wouldn't I, like I I then as a Arsenal fan would, would never want him coaching our club just because he, he is absolutely 
shat on our manager and our club multiple times and like that's where you kind of draw line but I feel like with the Benitez thing like you said he's never said anything overly mean and like you said like Everton fans have got no like like he's a good manager and it's just yeah football. I, th- I think the other thing about Mourinho managing Arsenal just wouldn't fit properly yeah. like I think that would, that, that, no. that would be the biggest problem yeah but yeah I think what what like what Josh said about Rafa Benitez loving the city and like he does a lot of I'm not actually sure about specifics, but he does a lot of good stuff for the city of Liverpool. And as a club like Everton, who's, you know, the people's club, we should be valuing that as well. Like, he might have made one offhand comment, but he's done a lot of good stuff for the city that all of the fans love so much. So, yeah. yeah. So, who do you want to see him bring in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Denzel Dumfries. <laughs> <laughs> Is that realistic still? Um, so, basically, the, the, the most recent word from Fabrizio Romano is that Everton have gone quiet in the talks um, with uh, PSV. Um, I'm not sure that much progress has been made from the other interested um, party, which is Inter Milan. Um, apparently, Bayern were interested in well, but they thought £15 million was too much for his buyout clause. Too much? Yeah, I know. Wild, hey? He's only, that's how much you have to pay if you, if you get it. Yeah. But Everton have gone quiet uh, in the talk. Apparently, Benitez is assessing whether he's interested in bringing him to the club or whether they go for a more short-term replacement for Seamus Coleman and look again for, for a more long-term right. replacement. But for me, he would be an amazing... Do you think that's your most pressing th- need right now? Right back? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I just think... Actually, maybe not, but I think we definitely need a replacement to Seamus Coleman because he's going to keep on getting injured. He's just signed a new contract, but we need a replacement for him. It might not be quite as pressing because we've got Ben Godfrey who can go into right back and cover, but ideally you'd want him playing at centre-back. But yeah. So yeah, I'd like to see Denzel Dumfries come in. Um, I'm not happy to see Bernard leave, but I think it was definitely the time yeah. for, for Bernard to leave. What, what um, about a, a, a Iwobi? I think I think he's hanging around. the 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 clubs basically on outs, expected outs for this for this season. The clubs told Delph, Rodriguez, and John Joe Kenny that they can leave, um, and they're also taking offers for Andre Gomez. And basically, I hope all of those players, apart from Hammers, leave. Yeah. I'd I feel actually, like the amount of times we were watching Everton games last season and you would just lose it when Andre Gomez would do something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's really not a very good player. No. I don't know he's how like he ever played Barcelona. Because he's, because he's Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no good. And yeah, the other thing I didn't realise, um, Schenk Tosin is still at the club. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, re- yeah. the regrowth specialist. Hopefully he can, uh, hopefully he can go. Um, the other one... I'd like to see Moyes Keane stay, but I think he's interested in leaving. The issue is that PSG only want to loan him and loan him, and Everton want to sell him. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that's the case with a lot of clubs at the moment. Like I know Arsenal have, have suitors for certain players who want to loan the players or with options to buy. And it's like, no, we want to sell this player. Like yeah. we're not loaning him out again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Th- Players I want to see leave, basically Delph, Kenny, and Andre Gomez. Um, I think that would free up quite a lot in, in wages. 
Um, we've brought in so far Begovic, which is a good backup keeper because Olsen left um, after one season on loan. I really like Townsend, and I really, really like Damari Gray. I think signing him for £1.7 million pounds is, could be, maybe when you look back at it, for the price tag, one of the better deals of, of this offseason. For sure. Um, the other club that I found out that Everton's interested in is Dwight McNeil. Yeah, um, I read that the other day. Yeah. I read that the other day. And I reckon he's really sharp. I know he's, he scored a goal. I may, might have even been against Everton. But it was against like someone who like, yeah. he like, yeah, he like cuts inside past someone and like curls at top left. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, I, I think the feeling is at Burnley that he's probably going to be leaving soon. He just doesn't fit the bill as like a Burnley type player. He's like yeah. too skillful and too like good technically to be a Burnley player, yeah. I feel like. Burnley do need some form of delivery to their big men, though, <laughs> yeah, right? You've got Chris Wood, huge, towering bloke. If you can't put the ball on his head, which McNeil excels at, and I think that's the important thing about McNeil is, yeah, you saw him score a worldie, but if you watch him play, he's always wanting to whip the ball into the box, and I think you need to be able to put him in a team that's got really good aerial targets. Um, I mean, and you know who's better than Chris Wood, though? I, I thought that's my be who you said. But yeah, like you said, he's skillful, but he's not going to fit in with a team with an interplay front three. You really want him to be whipping balls in. Yeah. yeah. I guess... For sure. They're, 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 they're all names I reckon would definitely strengthen. I, feel, I also feel like it's, it's tough for Everton because there's not a whole lot of wiggle room just with the... Because like after like not making Europe and, like, and, like in a, and it's still in somewhat of a COVID market, there's like only so many players you can buy. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. I think the issue with Dwight McNeil is Villa are interested. Yeah. And they're going to just get a big... Villa have been on a tear this week. Yeah, but they're, they're obviously potentially about to get £100 million for, Grealish, yeah. for Grealish. So that could make it tricky for us. Yeah. So yeah, in sum, I'd like to see a long-term replacement of Seamus Coleman and hopefully that's uh, Denzel Dumfries, though it is looking a little bit unlikely yeah. with, and with I, potential other suitors and another winger. And hopefully Dwight McNeil. And, and, and then everyone to stay healthy in midfield. Yeah. yeah. I guess my last uh, question is that like now we, we, if, we, if, we, if all that good business happens, where, what do you think is realistic in terms of like how Everton should go next season or this season? <laughs> um, I mean, w- what I hope is that we can make Europa League um, and what I think is realistic is that Probably around a 10th place finished again. 10th again? Yeah, I reckon around there. Okay. I mean, you look at the, the, the teams that finished above us last season, like Leeds, Arsenal, strengthened, strengthened a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just think with Carlo leaving so abruptly, bringing Rafa Benitez in and him not having much time to figure out exactly what he wants and get those deals done, it could be tricky. And, yeah, I Do can't you- see us doing that much better than last season. Do you... Do you think this means Rafa gets sacked at some point during the season? Well, yeah, I think that's just been something that's quite widely known. If he starts losing, the pressure on him is going to be very, yeah. very intense because a, a, a large portion of the fan base don't like him and probably will never will like him. Yeah. But yeah. Well, there we go. Do you want my, do you want my team? Oh, yeah, true. And Okay, okay. Uh, we're going to do this for each, uh, each team we go through. It's um, essentially... The best eleven that Everton would fit would field this season if everyone was fit and all and after the transfer window. So, without further away, take, take further ado, take it away. So I've got Pickford in goals, Dina, Keane, Godfrey, and Dumfries along the back four. 
Uh, Allen and Decore, two centre defensive midfielders, and then three um, across the front um, behind the striker. Um, Richarlison, Hamez, and Dwight McNeil, and then DCL up front. And then you got Townsend and Gray off the bench. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think they're more impact players. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. Okay. So that's well, Everton. That, that's Everton. And then from one side of Merseyside to the other, uh, Liverpool. Well, where do we start? Uh, so I guess the beginning of last season, we've come off the back of the best ever performance that we've ever had in the league, 99 points. The season before that, we won the Champions League. You know, we're flying. There weren't a lot of changes in regards to the team, but, you know, why change a winning team? Um, and then I guess everyone, everyone knows that the team was expected to, I guess, battle for that top two, probably make a, at least a quarterfinal, hopefully a semifinal in the Champions League. And then, and then the centre-backs. That's, that's the story of the season. Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's no real way around it. But I think the most in, interesting thing about that was how we just sold Lovren. Um, so we'd actually just weakened ourselves in that area. So it was a potential area of weakness. And there were murmurs going around at the start of the season that, hey, you know, what happens if we lose some centre-backs? What are we going to do? Um, and I guess that's been a, a bit of an issue with FSG. Um, what happened is we didn't just lose one. We lost Virgil. We lost Gomez. Then we went and we lost Matip as well. Matip's been injured a lot throughout the, all the seasons he's been at the club. Um, and the most important thing and not just losing your centre-backs is I think what a lot of people focus on is not having Virgil, not having Virgil. But we had to cannibalise our midfield to actually bolster our centre-back this, this situation. This me and Wilbur have touched on in past episodes. That, like, you had to force Henderson and Fabinho with the power of midfield to move him back. And look, I understand the decision by Klopp. You've got Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, two completely untested, untried players at the level. Um, you, you can't really just throw them to the wolves off the bat. But Fabinho's importance to Liverpool over the last few seasons is incredible. He's an amazing player. He, he runs our midfield as, as much as Henderson's the captain. I think Fabinho's our most important midfielder. Um, up there with Wijnaldum before he left the club. Um, but with that, yeah, with that cannibalisation of our midfield, you know, everything fell apart. Uh, Firmino out of touch, Mane out of touch, but it's really hard to keep this insane level of form when the rest of the team isn't operating at the same level. So the whole middle of the season, we, we crashed and burned. It was probably the worst stretch we've ever had in the last four years, three years. And then I guess the, the revitalisation at the end of the season. But like before we even get onto the revitalisation, it wasn't just the fact that you guys lost all your centre-backs. You also went ahead and lost Henderson for two months. Mm. So at the back of the season, you, you were supposed to have Chamberlain back at some point as a rotational <laughs> piece, never came back. Yep. Uh, you mm. had Jota, who was supposed to be a guy who could cover for any of the guys who were out of form. He got injured for three months as well. Nabi so Cater as well, perennially injured. Well. So it was, like, it, was just, it, was, it was a comedy of errors to a point where it got to a point where you could field uh, injured 11 of Liverpool that was almost as good as their starting 11. Pretty like, much. And I guess the issue with that is, we mentioned before, FSG's... I guess, unwillingness to really match it with the top clubs in terms of that depth. You look at Manchester City and Chelsea and, I guess, United now, but they've got players that can come off the bench and really do 
a very like 90, 95% job of their starting players, especially City. Like you, you can win the league with their second 11. But we don't have that. And that's been our weakness. Um, and that was exploited last season. Yeah. Absolutely exploited. But then you turned it around. Yeah, we turned it around. And I think there's a couple of cult figures, um, some highlights of the season. Nat Phillips, like... Huge. I reckon he's never going to have to pay for a drink in Liverpool ever again, no matter what happens with him at the end of the season, um, or I guess the start of the season. But cult figure, um, big success, huge winning streak, and I think an overachievement um, at the end of the season. Do you think he's earned one of two things, a, a contract extension or a big money move elsewhere? Um, I Personally, I don't think we re-sign him, and I think the club sees it the same way. From the looks of it, he's getting interest from some lower to middle um, sides in the Premier League as a, as a centre-back, and that's probably where he would fit in. He said it himself. He's got the brains of a top-tier player, but not the legs of one. And if he can, <laughs> if he can say that about himself, honestly, he's not going to be too disappointed if Liverpool decide not to pick him in their top four centre-backs. Or, Do you, you think he's a, he's a Premier League calibre centre-back starting level? I think he's probably a good third choice centre back for a team probably around 15th in the Premier League as that rotational third. um, He's shown that he can perform under pressure last season. I think that's a big thing. For example, do you think Brighton could replace Ben White with him? Look, you can't replace Ben White if you're Brighton, let's be honest, but realistic signings? Because in the the back three with Duncan Webster. Yeah, I'm not sure that... uh, yeah, that he's he hasn't played in a back three with Liverpool. Yeah, true. Um, so that's a that's a difference. But look, Nat Phillips is is probably out the door. Yeah, um, I think that's where he's headed, and good on him. Uh, he's he helped save the club from a bunch of embarrassments. I think. I feel like also like yeah, um, I know we get on to your next few cult heroes, but I feel like one guy who didn't probably stand out as much, despite getting almost as much of a look as Ozan Kabak, I thought he was quite underwhelming. Mm. Uh, but I guess it's just like shows who steps up to the plate and who doesn't, essentially. So middle of the season, we brought in uh, Ben Davis um, from the championship and we brought in Kabak on loan from Schalke as well as, um, I guess, emergency fill-ins. Um, Kabak, like you said, underwhelming, but I think he probably did enough to say thank you. It wasn't like the club was upset because he really underperformed that badly. It just wasn't enough to warrant us wanting to make the loan deal permanent. Um, ben Davis, again, injured as well, even though we brought him in as a replacement, so we just couldn't catch a break. Yeah. Uh, hopefully for him, he will start finding his form. He's just stepped out on the, on the pitch again this preseason only this week. So that's an, another centre-back coming back in. But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those cases where we had to panic loan and buy players in the middle of the season and a club like Liverpool shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't have to make emergency signings. Well, what do you think ultimately though was the reason that like Liverpool were able to turn around in such an amazing fashion? Do you think I, it's mostly down to Klopp or is it a... Look, you've got a team that's won the league last season. You've got not just quality, but you've also got a, a winning mentality and that starts from the top that starts from Jürgen and his mentality throughout the season although obviously he was dealt the worst hand he could he still was able to really put in some pretty good performances um, and throughout the season we probably if you look at XG for instance 
um, Liverpool's expected goals was only five behind Manchester City's this season. So we were creating chances. We just underperformed. Um, City scored 15 more goals than us. Yeah. So it wasn't like we were really capitulating and Klopp made sure that, I guess, the mindset was still switched on for those who, who were fit. Because, you know, at the end of the day, he's got this team which pulled apart but at Dortmund he was getting his team pulled apart every season because he'd have a good player have a good season and get bought by Bayern so he's used to working with new players coming in and out spare parts exactly Um, so he's done it again I think another hero from the season shining light was Curtis Jones a youth player coming up put in some really good performances Uh, looking forward to see how he progresses this year as well needs to get a couple better haircuts hey Wilbur (laughs) Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> shocking. Yeah. So I guess our season in the end, we finished third, and I'm not sure what you thought we would be able to do, but I didn't think we'd be able to make Champions League given where we were at. I I thought you were going to finish at best fifth. Will we? Where did you see? Probably mo- moment of the season when Allison scored that header too. That was that was that was beautiful. <laughs> Well, it won our goal of the season, like, undoubtedly. What a good header it was as well. Like, it wasn't... Oh, I think, I think that, that definitely just summed up that spirit that we're talking about, being able to do it. I think Leicester really throwing it away at the end of the season kind of gave us that ticket. We wouldn't have been in it if they hadn't have um, kind of capitulated. But finishing above Chelsea, Leicester and Spurs with what we did last season was... Like, although the expectations were and high, <laughs> you could you would say that it was a, last season was a success given the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, like, like you've heard various other pundits say that like what Liverpool did is almost on par with what City did to win the title with the resources they had to do with. And you've even said like Klopp's come out and said that like if Guardiola had to deal with what he had to do with, he wouldn't have been able to do it as well. And mm. I, I feel like it's like me and Wilbur had to talk about this, and it's like you take the top three centre-backs out of any other top six team in the Premier League. Like, you take Maguire, I guess Varane now, and Lindelof out of that United team. You take Diaz, Laporte, and Stones out of the City team. You take... Holgate out of Everton. Yeah, you take Holgate, you take Holgate, Keane, and Godfrey out of the Everton team. You take White, Gabriel, Holding out of the Arsenal team. Like, it's, 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 it's impossible almost. So, like, it's incredible what they did. Absolutely. And like we were saying, City... Them winning the league is almost expected nowadays. So, oh, congratulations. You won the Premier League again. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not as an amazing performance as coming third with what happened to us. And I think I agree with that as a statement for yeah. sure. So now, where, where to go from here? Well, I think the interesting thing for Liverpool from here is we've shown our weakness has been depth. However, this first team squad that we've had won the Champions League, won the league... They're only getting older, and they're all getting older at about the same... Like, they're all around the same age band. They're all 30-ish, yeah. They're all about 29 to 31, and this is posing a huge issue for us um, in the sense that we need to look at a succession plan. And the pressure is on to really perform, but we're not going to be bringing in players, especially in the market, given its current state, with, you know, the only teams who are really flashing the big cash right now are teams that have big money behind them. City, PSG. City, PSG, even Chelsea, murmuring. 
we don't have that big cash. Um, so we have to start looking at players who we can bring in who aren't going to be their best this season, next season, maybe three years down the track. Is Kanate that or is Kanate ready to go straight away? Ibrahim Kanate, the only signing we've made so far this season, okay. is an amazing player in the preseason. Yes, it's preseason, but you watch the way he plays. Same as Van Dyke. Klopp really likes quick, large centre-backs, and he's got that in spades. He's a giant, and he's also very, very quick. He missed a lot of last season with injury, so it's really hard to gauge how he's been developing. But I think that within two years' time, he will be an amazing player. That's the type of signing that we'll be making throughout the off-season. Uh, we're also looking for forward and probably another midfielder, given Wijnaldum has left to PSG. Uh, Tiago, 31. Henderson, 31. Tiago, 31 already? Uh, sorry, Tiago's 30. Henderson's 31. And then our front three, Firmino, Salah, Mane, all ageing as well. We're looking for another forward. Uh, that's where, we're, where we'll be investing. Um, unfortunately, being a Liverpool fan, trying to follow uh, transfers is really difficult because the club over the last few years has really taken a completely shut down policy. No if you look, leaks. If you look back on our signings, yeah, absolutely. It's been silence. You didn't know the club was interested in them. And then two days later they're signed yeah so it's really hard to follow that being said there has been some interesting um i guess rumored names some of them uh probably less so on the burner now from the bundesliga so florian neuhaus from gladbach um and christoph baumgartner from hoffenheim yeah baumgartner yeah yeah he was really good in the u.s yeah and we you know we took firmino from hoffenheim so it's a it's a good good hunting ground for us but another one that's been um highlighted recently by Pierce, who's probably the strongest journalist when it comes to the club, is uh, Jared Bowen from West Ham. Oh, really? Yeah, so interesting hearing that come out. But I guess it's really hard to tell because normally the signings that get made are ones that you don't hear about beforehand. Um, Another friend of... Yeah, you go, you go. What do you you make of signing Bowen? I wouldn't say here in the club is looking at Jared Bowen as the most exciting uh, prospect. I don't really know what Klopp wants with him. I'm not sure what he sees in him, but we've brought in players who have been, I guess, not that inspiring at clubs and Klopp's turned them into a lot better players. Oxlade Chamberlain. (coughs) (laughs) To name a few. uh, Even even Sadio, Sadio Mane to an extent, like, yeah. I mean, I, I think Jared, Bo- Jared, Jared Bowen's like solid, but yeah, I feel like maybe underwhelming for a Liverpool fan for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think on the other side of that, FSG's really come out and said that part of their signing strategy for this offseason is renewing contracts. Because not only do we have those players who are getting old at the same, same age bracket, but a lot of their contracts are expiring at a similar time. And, you know, locking in Mohamed Salah is, that's as good as a new as a new transfer because he's so important to the team. Uh, and we, this morning, actually, put Trent Alexander-Arnold on a long-term contract. Oh, so he re-signed. He re-signed until 2025. Uh, that happened only about 12 hours ago. Yeah, so those are the type of, I guess, signings, even though they're not new players, that the, the club is also looking to, to make. I'm still really worried about our depth, though. Yeah. Big issue. So I guess... I want to ask. I want to ask something that sort of isn't sort of going in the general flow of the thing, but it's something we something we were talking about before we came on air. Is 
do you think Thiago is going to kick on this season? Because from everything that me and Wilby saw last year, uh, underwhelming is the word I would use to describe it. Would you, would you, would you, Wilby, would you agree? Yeah, no, I was, I, I was definitely un- underwhelmed watching him play. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think we talked about it a bit. Like losing, uh, f- I, I think losing Fabinho and Henderson and other important players out of the squad had a big impact on how good he could be. Because there was a lot of pressure on him, but yeah. Anyway, I just feel like yeah, and thoughts. something something. <laughs> this is where we get your thoughts, Josh. Like something that Thiago does that I feel like kind of kills Liverpool style players. He holds onto the ball for ages. Like he takes mm. six touches when two would be fine. And this is what Henderson was so good in that midfield for Fabio Fabinho as well. Is if Henderson will link the defense to the front three in two touches, maybe three. Whereas you get you get like Thiago will pick it up inside his own half and like dribble across taking six touches to the other side and then pass and get it back and do the same thing to the other side and it's just kind of like speed of play is Liverpool's best asset and I just feel like he stagnated that a lot so your thoughts well I think the first thing to mention is as Wilby would definitely know Thiago's first outing in the Premier League he got broken in the game <laughs> with Everton where he got a really nasty tackle put him out for eight weeks so <laughs> yeah, it was Richarlison. It was Richarlison. Yeah. Um, and so you sign a player and then he finally starts the club and then he is out for such an extended period of time. That hampered him, of course. Um, and a big thing with Klopp is that if you look at his signings, their first seasons are never, never great. They always excel in their second and their third season. And the fact is Thiago's going to get a full preseason to actually learn. And I think I agree with you when... He was the metronome in the midfield, but he wasn't playing quite at the pace that you would expect Liverpool's midfielder to play at. Uh, He was brought in as a type of player who could play against teams that were below us that want to park the bus because teams love sitting deep against Liverpool now. And he's the type of player that's really good on the ball and will get a lot of touches against those teams. However, like you said, his pace of passing, I completely agree, was off. That's something he's going to have time to work on this off-season. If he's not better this season than he was last season, a failed transfer for sure, given your expectations and your quality coming in. Yeah. I also feel like he may not have like a reason. I'm not saying... Like, he, I, I do think his quality and he probably on the balance of things will end up being good. But I also feel like he's come from being that metronome at Bayern where like you've, you, can, you can play that slowly in that league but just because he is... Like Bayern just dominate everyone all the time. He's got like miles of, t- miles of time on the ball. He literally can just dictate things at whatever sp- speed he wants to. And he comes to the Premier League, which is like from back to front, top to bottom, is a much faster league where you get hassled and kicked and maybe just took time adjusting. So I do think, yeah, after a, after a full preseason and half of a regular season last season, he'll, he'll be better for sure. But it's, it's just interesting to see. Like it was so much made about the signing when they made it mm. that like it was didn't live up to the hype for me. I agree, uh, and I think it's 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 interesting what you said about the pace. You look at Havertz and Werner both came across and were really, I guess, shocked by the the amount of time they have on the ball in the Premier League. Um, Thiago may have been the same, although he he hasn't come out openly and said it. Um, adjusting will take a bit of time. It might just be one of those things where he he was so used to playing in a way where he had a lot of time on the ball. And he had, you know, you've got Muller, who's one of the most amazing players with space in the league ahead of you. 
um, Firmino not firing to the same level, who pl plays the same role that Thomas Muller does. Um, maybe he just wasn't in touch with how the space opens up ahead of him quite, quite yet at Liverpool. So if you, okay, moving on then, if you think Thiago improves or your centre-backs come back and Van Dijk is even, if he's even close to what he was in 2019-20, uh, you've got Canate, Gomez, uh, and pretty much everyone back and any new signings you do make, then what's, what is, is it back to winning the Premier League? I think a success is top three and a good run in the Champions League. Now, Klopp historically in the League Cups has been really poor at Liverpool, and he's mentioned specifically it's because of the lack of the winter break that he gets in Germany. But there is one this season. And I think it will be interesting because I'm pretty sure, given if you look at the lineups he puts out, that he almost throws those um, yeah. cups so that he can get rest for his players for the Champions League and the Premier League. So I think top three in the in the Premier League um, is successful and making it through to the knockout stages of the Champions League together. If we don't make the top three, we have to make the Champions League final. And if we make, you know, if we win the league, then it doesn't matter what happens in any, in, in any of the cups for Liverpool. Uh, given our squad depth and our competition, um, I think, and, and last season, you know, that, that, that those are achievable goals. Yeah. There's nothing you wanted to say. Yeah, what's, go what, what's going on with Henderson? Because I, 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 I saw some sort of murmurs that he might be on the way out. I'm interested to hear what you... Yeah, yeah I think it all comes back to what happened with the Wijnaldum situation. There's a lot of big big similarities. Ginny Wijnaldum, one, uh, one year off the same age as Henderson, wanted a three-year deal. Uh, Liverpool only offered him two. And he said that he was happy to stay at the club, the wages reportedly were not the issue. It was the contract length. And I potentially see that being the same issue with Henderson. Um, he's going to be 32 by the time his contract expires. How long is the club willing to give him on a contract at 32 years old? That's the reason why things are stalled. However, the other reason is that there are people ahead of him in terms of the contract pecking order that need to be solved so he's been I guess pushed to the back of the queue as Pierce has said Trent Alexander-Arnold was one of them he got signed you've got Salah Mane Firmino I think Henderson is probably further back and those rumours of him leaving are more along the lines of what happens if the club doesn't give him a new contract but I don't think there's any way he's leaving this year no way whatsoever uh, potentially if he is going to leave for money it would definitely be at the end of this season or more likely he would play out his entire contract and leave on a free do you, do you see Henderson as a player whose play style will uh, suit getting older like you know some midfielders they age quite gracefully and they play well into their 30s but then some midfielders they hit like 32 and that's, that's it burnt out I'm not sure he is quite the player that's going to be able to put in those years but his he he brings things to a club that aren't just on the pitch and that's his strengths his leadership I guess on the pitch but not with his feet you know the way he directs play the way he acts in the dressing room these are the most important points about Jordan Henderson and those are things you can have a 35 year old do in your club the question is if he comes along and says he wants a three year deal do you do you give him a three-year deal at those wages? Would you or give you... him a three-year deal? I probably wouldn't. I would give him a two-year deal. That's the thing about a lot of these clubs, like, 
and the players not wanting and players not getting what they want in terms of like deals. It's like, for example, William wanted three years at Chelsea. They only offered him two, or maybe even they and then we offered him three, and then straight away you could see why Chelsea didn't want to offer him three. Oh, um, and it's just like I feel like a lot of the time the players want this deal, and like maybe maybe they deserve it for what they've done, but like at the end of the day, football is becoming more and more and more a business, and um, I just feel like owners and managers are just hesitant to bank on that player being that good for however long you know yeah uh, yeah it's, it's d- definitely an issue but I think I, I think we're genie why nailed him the, the way FSG treated him like he's only 30 he, he sh- surely could have gotten a longer contract right? yeah I reckon that's probably an exception to the to the yeah I, I, I think that's such a sad transfer because he's outright said that him and Klopp's relationship goes beyond that of a player and a coach he is best friends with the manager there's no way that the two would have departed had they the choice. Unfortunately, uh, like you said, management, FSG, it was really down to them. And although some fans were angry, I think majority understood that we would have kept him had we had, the, like, had Klopp had the choice, and he would have stayed as well. Uh, so there's there's no bad blood. It's probably just a a decision that may have been influenced by the current situation in the world uh, and I don't think a good one. But yeah. it's done now and unfortunately for us, we're going to have to look for a replacement. So lastly, we've talked about how you want top three or at least a quarters or past that Champions League run. Uh, like I touched on before with Wilbur, are there any players you would like to see leave this window? Well, if we talk about players who leave, I think Liverpool... Their transfer, I guess the work they've done in the transfer market has all been selling at the moment. Left, right? So we've sold uh, Michael Gruich, as you mentioned. He went to Porto. We sold Harry Wilson to Fulham. Oh, Harry Wilson sold. Awoni to Union Berlin. Um, Liam Miller to Basel. Grabara to Copenhagen. You know, Ginny Wijnaldum left to PSG and a couple of players out on loan. We're, we're trying to clear the books so that we can bring in players. I think it's likely that Shakiri is going to leave. Um, it's probably also likely that Neko Williams is going to leave. Um, I heard whispers that Oxide Chamberlain might leave. There then were, I, but then I also heard whispers that like, potentially he's getting trained up to play Firmino's position. I will mention that in a sec. Uh, other players who are probably definitely going are Ben Woodburn, Divock Origi, and... Loris Carius, if we can get someone to buy him, <laughs> who's come back after a loan spell. Um, I think Oxlade Chamberlain won't be leaving, and the reason is the one you just mentioned. He's actually being trained to play Firmino's role, which is very surprising given, I guess, the way his career has progressed to play that false nine role. But he started um, against Mainz in that position. It'll be interesting to see whether he can do it, and I think that's almost a sign of where we're at in terms of our backup that instead of bringing in a player who can actually play that role we're just going to Ox and saying hey can you but play if it Klopp, if Klopp pulls that off and turns him into a functional false nine cent, like number nine then like what a manager oh, like, <laughs> there's no words if that happens like, yeah Ox playing anywhere across the midfield three the front three right wing back at Arsenal and you know 
if Klopp can do that, then Sentiment also too, yeah. an amazing, amazingly coachable player. I think yeah. that goes to. No, nah, he was one of the players I was really uh, upset to see leave towards the end of Wenger's reign. Mm. But it is what it is. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that concludes Liverpool. Unless you've got anything else you want to add, I'll give you my squad. Oh yes, you're, yes, I keep forgetting this. Yeah, you're t- uh, the team, the team, the the best eleven if everyone's fit and everyone's transferred. I think for this, it's going to be quite boring. Uh, it's going to be very similar to the squads of before. Uh, Goalkeeper Allison, no doubts. Uh, your fullbacks as well, no question that Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold are your, your top two. Uh, Virgil van Dyke always has to be your most important centre back. And I think the battle will be between Gomez and Canade for that second place. I think you don't, Joe, think, you don't think Matip's a better centre back than Gomez? Uh, no, I don't think Joe. I think Joel Matip is happy to be that third, fourth choice centre back. And yeah. I think that's ideally where he's at I think Gomez as of right now is going to be given the shout however given the fact that he's not fit yet Canate's going to play at least the first 10 games of the season and whether he has done enough to keep his spot in the midfield three you're going to have Fabinho Thiago and Henderson with Fabinho being the deepest lying of the three that does seem a little bit defensive it is but we did use it last year um, to to a good effect Liverpool's midfield if you look at the way we play, our, our fullbacks are so aggressive that the onus really isn't on that midfield three to be aggressive. It's more to be creative and to, to block. Um, and the front three, you're going to have to stick with the Salah Try on the right. Uh, Manny on the left, Firmino in the middle. I do think that right now Jota is a better player than Firmino, given form. However, the issue with fitting Jota into the front three is he has to come in on the left side, which means that Mane has to go to the right and Salah goes to centre forward. And to bring in your best three, you're putting two of your other two best players out of position. Um, Continuity-wise, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't quite work, although I do think Jota is a better player than Roberto Firmino at this minute. Yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, uh, I, guess, I, guess that comes, I guess that brings it around to me, eh? It's time for Arsenal. Yeah, uh-huh. well. So, Jasper. <laughs> what were your uh, expectations at the start of last season? Uh, so, at the start of... Season 2020 to 2021. Um, I had decently high hopes. I didn't think we were going to finish top four just because we'd finished eighth the season beforehand. Um, I, although I was get increasingly positive about Arteta, he'd like really shored up our defence quite well. Uh, he brought in Gabriel, who looked to be a really astute signing. David Luiz had improved towards the back end of the 2019-20 season. Um, and I hoped that at some point we would get Callum Chambers back, who I thought, before he got injured, was up there with David Luiz as probably one of our best defenders. Uh, but, and, and then you also we'd signed Thomas Partey. I remember, I remember before, before you signed Thomas Partey, you being quite stressed out about not getting in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was at home definitely, like, pacing and uh, stayed up to see if that was confirmed and was quite happy the next day. Uh, and then, yeah, so obviously we signed a, center, a, a starting centre-back, a starting centre-mid and Thomas Partey. And at the time, I thought the Willian deal on a free was, was decent business because like, he, he definitely looked overly terrible the season before, season before for Chelsea. And I thought, it's good wing cover, you know. Um, I didn't expect him to start. I thought Pe- Pepe and Aubameyang would be the starters and you'd get Saka and maybe even Reese Nelson in there. Although Reese Nelson seems to have not gotten any remotely much of a look in uh, whether that's based on training or work rate or whatever um that's disappointing but uh i thought we could finish i thought we could push on from the eighth finish in the 2019-20 season and 
I think in that little game we played where we put everyone's tables down, I had Arsenal to finish fifth. I would have been happy with fifth or sixth and getting uh, and staying in Europa League because uh, the only reason we made Europa League last season, the season before, was because we won the FA Cup. Uh, we also signed Aubameyang to an extension, which I was extremely happy about. Uh, that he did that little video with Ian Wright, being like, "I want to become a legend here" and everything. And I was like, I was, I was, I was positive. I was like, I don't think we're going to challenge the likes of Chelsea, who've just forked out bunch of money United are going to be top four and obviously I thought Liverpool and City were going to be toe-to-toe for the title so yeah things were looking up I'd say and I I would have liked us also probably to like progress to at least the like at least the semis or at least the final and maybe possibly quite definitely the final of the Europa League yeah yeah I mean yeah I, I I seem, I seem to remember the, the, the Community Shield game where Willian had quite a good game, Aubameyang had quite a good game, and you beat um, beat Liverpool. Um, but, yeah. And then Willian missed really. three assists in the first game against Fulham, and I'm like, fuck, we've just got this guy on a free. You're, you're unreal. And, yeah, that video that you mentioned with Ian, uh, Ian Wright and Aubameyang walking across the pitch at the Emirates talking about being a legend, and then... Yeah, just the the work rate just completely fell away. Yeah, so in, in the reality of the situation was uh, it didn't turn out like that at all. Uh, we had an extremely lean patch running in uh, running into December from sort of from October to the mid December, um, where we were terrible, uh, could, couldn't score a goal to save our lives, and we weren't leaky at the back, but like we're losing games one nil, two one, like losses to Burnley. Uh, draws against uh, losses to I'm pretty sure West Brom or draws against West Brom losses to um, just I'm, I'm, I don't remember all of them but they, it was a really lean run where we didn't we won one game in about nine or ten and it, uh, it was a one nil against Manchester United which is like weird because we never won an Old Trafford in years uh, but yeah uh, but there was quite a few factors that led to us being poor um I'm not going to touch too much on as Wilbur cramps again. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not going to touch too much on Arteta's tactics, although I, although I do feel like Arteta got it wrong at multiple points throughout the season. Uh, but I feel like really big factors of us being bad was uh, well, obviously William was terrible. <laughs> There's no easy way to say it. He was he was really bad. Uh, he, and, and then Arteta's insistence on kept on playing him, on starting him every game, just really hurt us. Aubameyang uh, was bad, which was partly to do with the, the team being bad, but also as as the games went on, everyone was like, "Oh, he's not getting enough service, this and that." And then it sort of turned into, "Oh, actually, no, he's just not trying hard at all." Uh, so yeah, Aubameyang was really poor, and Party, although he was in and out of the team with injury, was severely underwhelming as well. Yeah, um, I think I think that was potentially a fitness thing, though, right? Yeah, like there are people, like like a lot of pundits say that he was only ever really properly fit for about less than five games, and you did see like you saw flashes of how good he can be. Like the man of the match performance against United at Old Trafford was really impressive. Uh, but yeah, it was, and I feel like yeah, we just we had we had our moments where like it seemed like we we sorted out our defensive issues. But then when that was hap- when that was happening, we couldn't buy a goal. And then we would change the formation and the tactics to get uh, more sort of forward fluency and, and more and more attacking uh, prowess in, and we'd start leaking goals at the back. And it was just like we never seemed to get it right until 
after the Christmas break. After if if the season had started January first, twenty twenty one, I think uh, there's a, someone made a table for it. And we we finished third or fourth. Like we yeah. we were really good uh, after the new year. Um, lots of po- posi- like positives from that was Gabriel was really good. Tierney was just so solid. And obviously Saka had his breakout season, which resulted in getting picked for and starring at the Euros, winning our player of the season. And yeah, so like there's definitely positives to take, to take into the next season, but like, yeah, ultimately a very disappointing season where we finished eighth, um, barely finished eighth too, and crashed out of the Europa League, admittedly in the semi-final stage, but like with quite a, 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 a limp, if you say. Arsenal finishing in eighth. Tottenham finishing in seventh. What does it do to a club when, you know, Everton might know this, but you're constantly now finishing below Tottenham after having the wood on them for so many years, given the fact that they had a bit of a shambles of a season as well and not actually being able to take that opportunity to beat your crosstown rivals? It was rough. It was, not, not being able to celebrate St. Totteringham's Day for the past four years now, I think. It, it, it has it, it's been rough. Uh, but, yeah... I don't know, it's just a testament for how bad it got at, at points in the season. And, like, yeah, I think the jury is definitely still out on Arteta. Like, he's had good moments, but he's also had some really suspect moments. Like, again, sticking with Willian for so long. Um, sticking Also sticking with Aubameyang for so long. Like, I get it's Aubameyang, but at times, like, Aubameyang deserved to be dropped for about four weeks before he eventually was dropped. Uh, and it hurt the team and also just like his, his, his refusal to make substitutions before the 70th minute in almost every game was really frustrating to watch at times but yeah in terms of a man management side of things I feel like Arteta really dropped the ball especially in regards to captaincy the way Granite Jagger was thrown to the Wolves that was Una Emery uh, with the, Emery sorry <laughs> too far in the past where I was leading with that is Granite Xhaka he's had these issues at the club Fans wanted him in. Fans wanted him out. It looks like he's going to leave. Now maybe he's not going to leave. Where does he have a role at Arsenal if he stays? And do you think that the manager actually wants him there? Well, yeah. This, I guess, brings me on to the next thing, which is the off-season and like ins and outs. It, the entire Euros, it has been almost like a sure thing that he was going to Roma. Mourinho wants him. He said while posting up in his hotel room when Switzerland was in Rome, he's like, uh, they were, he, I think he came out and said, they know what I want to do. It's very nice here while he was in Rome. Uh, he can't really be more unsubtle than that. Uh, and Mourinho wanted him. And, like, and we were like, uh, like, and then obviously I think the, the rumor was 15 million, but then after he, it was 15 to 20 million, but then after his obviously incredible performance for Switzerland in the Euros, we were like, no, it's hardball 20 million. And it's a bit harsh to say, but like keeping in tune with most Italian clubs at the moment, they have been extremely tight assed Roma and refused to front up the 20 million. And now it is being reported by David Ornstein and Fabrizio Romano that we look to be offering him a contract to 2026. And I just feel like after everything that's gone down, his highs and his lows performance wise, his obviously his antics that got him the captaincy stripped on, which, which was tough. I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for him in that situation, but it's definitely, he needs to a fresh start and the fact that we're going to try and offer him more money than he's probably worth in a contract just to keep him just because Roma won't front up 
the money is really disappointing because it's 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 it's, it's great. Jack is one of those players that like he'll play two or three games and you'll be like, damn, he's he's actually quite a good player, and or he'll miss a game or two and you'll be like, damn, like we're actually not as good when he's when he's not playing, but then he'll fuck up majorly in some sort of way like when he kicked the ball into the back the Burnley defender's back for a goal like when he was six yards out and it's just like things like that and, you, and then you're constantly reminded about why we've been so frustrated with Chaka over the past three years because he's just always the next mistake is always around the corner who do you who do you see as a replacement if, if you can off, offload him yeah if we can offload him there's, there's three players who have been talked about uh I think Locatelli's dead in the water, so he's not one of the three. I, that would have been nice, but uh, Italian players don't like to leave Italy, and also um, he also has a preference to, to go to Juventus, even though Juventus, even though we offered forty million, and Juventus were like, "Nah, we'll give you like a loan with a 10, 10 million fee, and then we might buy him in two years over two installments of twenty million. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's, but yeah, it's it's Juventus, though. Yeah, you know, it's Juventus. Italian, so. So it's fair enough, but uh, yeah, the, the the three the t- the first two targets, which uh, the the first one was talked about pretty much from the end of last end of the season last season, pretty much when we played Brighton last game of the season, everyone was talking about Yiz Basuma. He's a player I really like. Uh, he's a player that had, uh, clearly likes Arsenal and wants to Arsenal. It was, there was like a week on Arsenal, but Arsenal Reddit was going crazy, and I think I showed Wilbur this. Him and his agent posted a bunch of videos of him in hotel rooms, and there was just also like Arsenal memorabilia everywhere. And it was almost like it was deliberately like posted in these videos. Like, there's an Arsenal shirt in the bed this time. He's wearing an Arsenal shirt in the next one. It's just like, yeah, I, I remember the memes that came out when like the, the Ben White rumors started surfacing. It was like, where's the invite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, uh, and again, he's a he's, he's a strong box to box midfielder, but maybe slightly on the defensive side. Uh, very hard in the tackle, great feet. Um, obviously, has a shot on him too. He scored a really nice uh, volley goal against Everton, and Everton beat Brighton four two in uh, Merseyside. Um, but yeah, uh, so he's an option. But then it, the problem is if we sign him, and our three main midfielders are Partey, El Nenny, and Bissouma, then when Afcon comes around, we've got no one. Because obviously we've signed Albert Sambi Lukonga, but he seems to be somewhat of a prospect. I, I definitely think he'll get quite a few first minute, first team reps this season. But again, he's only 21, and no one really knows a whole lot about him apart from he was he was been a young star for Anderlecht. Uh, the next player would be who's actually similar to the Jacker role, but I don't think has as many glaring mistakes in his game. Is Ruben Neves from Wolves? I I think I think this is a solid pick, but it's not really like a wow, this is what we need pick. I feel like he's about the level we're at now, but he's not a player that will take us to the next level. He's just sort of solid. Like, How, how old is he? Because he strikes me as being old. 24, 25, oh, I'm okay, pretty sure. Right. Yeah. He looks really old because he's got a beard. A nice beard. That's about it. But um, yeah, if I, if I do some quick on-the-fly googling he is one thing going for him though is he scores a worldie every now and then he's, doesn't he's, he? he's, he's 24 he, he, he turned 24 in march yeah his, his shot looks a bit better than uh parties did this season yeah 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 so but yeah ruben neves has, has got um uh, absolutely he can hit a free kick he can hit an outside the box shot but again like like worldies does not a midfielder make you know what i mean so uh but yeah he's again he's solid but like, especially considering how bad Wolves were last season or how underwhelming Wolves were, I don't know if he is the answer. 
And the last player that's recently been talked about was uh, the Fabrizio Romano I talked about the other day was Bruno Gumarais. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> uh, Brazilian player who's currently playing in the Olympics with uh, Brazil, obviously. And he, he plays for Leon. And he, from the brief sort of looking up of him, he seems to be just a better version and a younger version of Granit Xhaka. Like he does the same role, but does it better, more energy, and is not 55 pace on fever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I don't. Uh, he's the one I know the least about, just because he's not doesn't play in the Premier League. But he would be good. The vultures are definitely circling around French football as well at the moment. Yeah. So Stan Kroenke would love a good deal, I think. Yeah, and also um, uh, he was apparently also keen to go potentially go to Dortmund because they offer Champions League football. So. Even if we do bid for him, there is a chance that he doesn't want to come to us because we're not in any sort of European football. But out of those three, Basuma is probably the one I would want to sign the most just because I know the most about him and I like his game the most, but then that obviously poses the AFCON problem. But yeah, I'm going to probably say Basuma. Um, I've got a few other things to talk about. I don't want to drone over too long, but then another area we seem to be really keen on uh, strengthening is uh, attacking midfield, centre attacking midfield specifically, to challenge with Emil Smith-Rowe, who's now been given the number 10 shirt. And the battle seems to be... I saw this thing on Arsenal Reddit the other day, which was like, instead of uh, Captain America Civil War, it was like uh, Arsenal Civil War, and it was like Odegaard and Madison's face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I, I think so, like getting Odegaard would be would be huge for yeah. you guys because like yeah, a, a lot of these midfielders are not particularly um, you know attacking minded. No, yeah. So like yeah, there, there is a lot on team Odegaard and a lot of team Madison. Madison, the rumored transfer fee at least is seventy million, and Odegaard it's rumored between thirty five and fifty million. The way I see Odegaard, though, is, and this is a downside of loan spells, is if you perform well enough, then your home club might not want to let you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I have seen that he has suitors from clubs with potentially more money and a bit more prestige than uh, Arsenal. The question is, I guess, then... If you have a player that comes in like Odegaard and performs so well on loan, should the club also then be looking at loan and ensuring they have a buy clause yeah. at the end because he potentially did so well that he might not be available anymore and Madison's price tag, do you think that's probably out of your price range? I don't think it's out of our price range. I just don't think, we, 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 I don't think he's worth that much. I think... Uh, I'll touch on Odegaard briefly before I go and jump onto Madison. The, apparently the rumours around Odegaard were... He was fully ready to come back to Madrid this season and Ancelotti initially said he was in his plans but then like it's come out that he feels somewhat detached from the squad. There's a training video I've showed Wilbur where they're all kicking it, kicking really good goals in training and, and each time a player scores it's like celebrated everyone's like way clap 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 and then Odegaard steps up, hits a really nice goal and it's like deadly silent. That was super awkward. Yeah, it's like super, super awkward. uncomfortable to watch. Uh, really uncomfortable to watch. And then yes, from that is extend multiple reports that he's like uh, detached, doesn't feel welcome. And uh, also he said he, uh, he, he really fell in love with Arsenal in his six months here. He felt like he was part of a family. Um, so even though he may not offer the same amount of money, just because of the attachment he has to the club, there's potential there. In terms of Madison, I think the guy obviously has unreal talent. Like you've seen him, like, everyone's seen him go on mazy runs through the box. Everyone's seen him pe pe peel off free kicks, worldies from outside the box. Like guys, phenomenal. But 
the part of Madison that not a lot of people do see is that he also can go missing for like 60 to 70 minutes of multiple games and also is incredibly injury prone. So... How, how old is he? Like 20, 23, 24. 24. He's 24. I think when, me, when we were looking, me and Wilbur had a debate a while ago about James Madison versus Jack Grealish. Like that case is definitely closed now. But, but yeah, I mean, 70 million... Like he's 24. He's, 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 yeah, he's born in... He's older than Ruben Neves. Yeah. He's 96. It, like, 70 million is a lot of money, but, like, you just paid 50 million for Ben White, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. And Grealish is potentially going for a hundred, so maybe the yeah, I fully get, I fully get why he's worth that much. I just don't. I would rather us not invest in that when there's question marks. I feel yeah. like and quite large ones. Um, finally, uh, we have a potential problem with our secondary goalkeeper situation. Matt Ryan obviously didn't come back. He went to Real Sociedad. We're getting rid of Alex Runison because he sucks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is he worse than Loris Carius? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> what about uh, Joe Virginia? <laughs> yeah. The guy, guy is pretty bad. awful. Like, he's so bad. Um, so, yeah. And then, obviously, we've got uh, Arthur Okwonko, who's the, uh, a youth team prospect who's coming through, but he's going to be our third keeper. It's been decided. So, the, the, the three keepers we've been linked with are Andre Onana, Aaron Ramsdale, and lightly Sam Johnston as, like, the third keeper, as, like, a second option. Anana, just because of his doping ban, um, wouldn't be able to play until next year. But there's rumours. But he's only worth ten million to sign. And if he's like, if you look at how he plays for Ajax and just his general stats, he's a really good keeper, or probably arguably a first team keeper. Um, and that all that talk was around sort of when Leno was saying he might want to leave. Then there's Aaron Ramsdale and Sam Johnston. Um, both uh, Ramsdale, obviously young, is going to be a very good keeper. Has had ups and downs over the past two seasons, but for the most part uh, at Sheffield and at uh, Bournemouth has looked like a player that will turn into a very good keeper. The asking price from Sheffield is £30 million for him, which I, don't, I think he's worth that much. I just don't want us to spend £30 million on a backup keeper. That's how You spend £30 million on a, on a keeper that's going to start. We didn't spend... We spent £25 million on Leno. So... I feel, like, I feel like Sam Johnston and Aaron Ramsdale are like starting keepers yeah and then so then the Sam Johnston the asking price apparently is 12 million and he's 28 but again um, is a very good option and probably is a starting keeper in the Premier League uh, out of those three I'd, I would want Johnston's because he's cheaper but again I think all of them are starting keepers and it would be tough to have him sit on the bench behind Lena. on the price tag of Ramsdale though a club in the championship asking for 30 million for a player we often see how that goes that you know clubs need to offload due to debt and their asking prices are high but by the time it gets to the end of the window players are leaving for a lot less do you see Arsenal realistically getting him for a lot less than 30 million even though that's the asking price nope English tax I don't see it happening like, like Everton got De Courier for 30 million from Watford and they were freshly relegated I think it just happens sometimes and I don't like Ramsdale only signed with Sheffield at the start of last season he's got four years left in his contract I don't see it happening like they'll be hard and fast on that one because they want to keep him like he, he, he could be integral to their promotion campaign next season although I don't think I don't see them getting promoted next season uh, lastly to finish before I get on to my uh, expectations for next season I want to see Shaka gone, Bellerin gone, Kolasinac gone, Ainsley Maitland-Niles gone, and Willian gone. Definitely. Potentially, I would like to see Will- Willock for the right price go as well. 
Uh, but yeah, those, those five. See ya. Yeah, and it's it's definitely time to cash in on Willock. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, uh, oh yeah, and, we've, and we have brought in, like I mentioned before, Lukonga, Ben White, and uh, Nuno Tavares as a backup for Kieran Tierney, which is something we really desperately needed last season. We were playing Cedric out of position there, and yeah, we suffered when Kieran Tierney was injured last season. Finally, my expectations. As I can't open how, this book. How low are they? <laughs> there. <laughs> so obviously. Closer to the season starting, I'm, I'm probably going to have a little bit more to say about my doubts about Arteta. The jury, like I said, is well and truly still out on him. Uh, if, if things don't improve this season and, and uh, even get as bad as they were in the front half of last season, there's definitely a chance that he could see the door. That being said, I do think based on how he progressed at the end of last se- uh, towards the, on the back end of last season, I do think we'll get better. Uh, I also think if we do bring in that attacking mid and centre mid that we, I really hope we do I, I also think that the, the squad in itself is stronger I also feel like players like Aubameyang will bounce back after having such a bad season I don't think he's going to be that bad twice in two seasons in a row I also feel like Saka will be even better this season I think I also feel like Pepe was coming into his own at the end of last season uh, obviously Ben White next to Gabriel is a really good young uh, centre-back duo that can really improve so my expectation is for us to finish sixth pretty much I think we'll get back into Europa League and I would like to see us make at least the semi-final of one of the cups if not the final that's League Cup and FA Cup I would like to see us finish sixth yeah sixth and a, de- and a deep cup run I think also I think that will help us to finish sixth is um, not having to play European football for the first time in 20 odd years I feel like that's going to have a huge fitness uh, improvement yeah I feel like that's something we touched on like sort of at the end of last season when it was looking like you might get in or you might get a a Europa League spot I think it's probably a blessing for Arsenal at this point yeah do you think that if Tottenham they brought in Nuno they lost Mourinho they may lose Harry Kane who knows what happens with that do you see this year as a year that you can pip Tottenham Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I really hope that you, you do as well because I think it would be really interesting to, I to think, see how... I think Tottenham could potentially, and I like Nuno, I think Tottenham could be a dumpster fire this season. I really do. Like the fact that they went on like a 13-manager search just to end up with Nuno, uh, the fact that they might lose Kane, and the fact that if they don't lose Kane, there's going to be a really to- toxic atmosphere at the club because Kane clearly wants to go. Uh, I think... Just generally, their squad isn't that good. Like Alderweireld and Vertonghen are gone, and they weren't that what they were anywhere, uh, anywhere anymore. Anyway, uh, Davinson Sanchez and Rod- Rodon is their best centre back at the moment, and he is he's decent, but he's not a top six caliber starting centre back. Davinson Sanchez is is like Shaka, has moments, but that is just a liability waiting to happen. Um, Reguilon, like we, I think we've already, I think we may have touched off air, is could like. Could work better under a um, wing, a wing back system under, under Nuno. Under Nuno, yeah, it could be definitely be better. But like, there's question marks at both fullback spots, um, and like, I mean, who knows where, what De- frame of mind Deli Ali is going to be in? Uh, they've lost Lamella, who say what you will about him, was effective at points last season. Lucas Mura again can go completely missing at times. 
so yeah, I think yeah, it's I, it's it's been a dumpster fire since they started looking for a new manager. Yeah. I think Levy trying to hold on to Kane so badly is going to come back and bite him in the ass because they're not going to get the money in time to have a clear plan with all that money that they get. Yeah, yeah. And I do. I think ultimately it's going to, like the best thing for them though is to let Kane go because if they can get 120 million for him and maybe even like a player back, I don't know who City would give him give them, but like they can like I. Hopefully, you, you let Nuno do most of the recruiting there, and Nuno has proven to be quite a good recruiter. So you, you see what, and maybe that could be better. But I, I, I genuinely would not be surprised if they lose Kane, that they miss out on European football together. Maybe like finish tenth. Like I, I, I genuinely think, and like I'm not just saying this because I, I am saying this a little bit because I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> <laughs> but like I genuinely think Everton have a better chance of finishing above Tottenham. And that's saying something. <laughs> wow. Like, I genuinely do think Tottenham are set up for a massive amount of failure this season, and it, it's not looking dire. And it's not looking good. It's looking dire. Uh, finally, my as we hit the one hour and 20 minute mark um, oh on, uh, on this marathon of an episode, uh, my lineup, the, of, uh, my ideal lineup, uh, not in, obviously, this is not in taking into account AFCON, this is just this rest of the season around about, around about AFCON which probably alludes to the player I'm going to have in the team but yeah it's going to be Leno in goal obviously uh, Cedric or Chambers at right back I don't really mind either of them I think are serviceable for what we want to do at the moment I don't think right backs are overly pressing need uh, White and Gabriel as the two centre backs Tierney is a shoe in almost as, almost as much of a shoe in as Robertson is for Ordinia is for Everton and Liverpool Party again it's probably the third name on the team sheet uh, after Tierney and um, uh, Saka in my opinion and then next to him Basuma I would really like to see that I think a, a Basuma party da- midfield is, is really dynamic um, and it's also quite good defensively and then this is potentially controversial the, 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 the three behind the striker is Pepe Smithrow and Saka and then I I'm not sure about who I start up front out of Aubameyang and Lacazette. Aubameyang obviously is an incredible natural finisher, but I don't think whenever he started up front, he's performed that well. I think Lacazette plays a position better than him. Then also you can't really leave Aubameyang out of the team, I feel like. But based on last season, maybe you can. Could be be Lautaro Martinez up there. Yeah, that too. Uh, So, yeah, that's at this point, based on what I've seen, it's Lacazette and Aubameyang's not starting, which could be controversial. But yeah, yeah, it's Leno... Chambers or Cedric, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Party, Basuma, Pepe, Smithrow, Saka, and Lacazette. Thoughts, guys? I think it's interesting to not include Aubameyang, but you know, your reasoning—you've got reasons behind it. I do think, though, that that could create internal issues if Aubameyang isn't starting a lot of games. Yeah, I do. I, I think Aubameyang will probably. Like, again, this is not what I think will happen. This is what I would like to happen. Uh, I think Aubameyang will probably end up starting. I'd probably for, probably on the left, and then but then it creates a headache of who do you start over Saka and Pepe. Probably Saka, but Pepe again has looked it does, deserves to start based on how he finished last season and how again how he's looked in preseason looked really good. So yeah, and I do hope we see a lot of um, uh, Lukonga and Martinelli this season off the bench or in cup games. I think they're both really ones to watch for the future. My last question for you is the spot you haven't mentioned yet, and that is manager. How long do you give Arteta before you call it if things aren't going well this season? Christmas. If, if, if he's wallowing in anywhere from 8th to 10th, 
uh, or worse at Christmas, he's gone. For me, I don't think he. I don't think they will get. I think it'll it'll take him being like in a relegation battle for them to for him to get sacked. But um, I mean, and when I say relegation battle, I mean fifteenth, sixteenth. But um, yeah, I I would I would ship him off if because like if 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 it's the same issues of he's sticking with players that are out of form. We're losing games because we we're doing this we're, we are doing the same monotonous thing for seventy minutes and nothing changes and then by the time he brings on players they've only got fifteen minutes to make a difference in a game and we end up drawing or losing that game. Then if it's the same things that keep happening, then yeah, I've got serious question marks. That being said, I don't know who we bring in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that uh, unless anyone else has got anything to, left to say, I reckon that probably concludes it. Now I just say that uh, yeah, it was it was it was interesting hearing about Liverpool. That was that was that was awesome. Yeah, and so we've covered a lot of ground in this episode. Hopefully, if you've made it this far, you've enjoyed the listen. Uh, plenty. Of, we'll be posting the lineups of all the teams on Instagram, so feel free to get involved and in, uh, let us know what your thoughts on thoughts are on those. Any Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, and Everton fans out there? And as always, Wilbur, they should uh, follow us on Spotify. <laughs> And Instagram. And Instagram. New handle. Yeah, new handle. 40-yard switch spelt out with letters dot pod. <laughs> um, and, of course, you can follow Josh on his socials. What are they? Um, slothering on Instagram. <laughs> As you might see on my team sheet, I put out for Liverpool's 11. Yes, exactly. So we'll, we'll, we'll drop the handle. Um, and, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on today. I hope, hope you've pleasure. had fun. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it's so good to, to chat about football again with people around, out of the online element, back in back in person. It's a bit, bit of a weird setting in, in the club rooms of our soccer club that are completely empty because everyone else has gone home with the smoke alarm that needs a battery change beeping every 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 five minutes. But it's been fun. Yeah, and as will be mentioned, you know, it's it's great hearing someone from the other the other side of Merseyside and hearing some some good talk about what's going on there and. We'll see what happens with Benitez, I reckon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with both of our managers, Wilbur and Woodson. But yeah, yeah. as always, uh, yeah, follow us, uh, like us, um, please like, comment us, us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, bye, I guess. Thanks, guys. <laughs>